0: It looks like there's a lot more people when y'all all pack into the same thing. <laughs> Is it Super Bowl Sunday or something? <laughs> oh man, I hope y'all set y'all's DVRs. <laughs> somebody loses, somebody wins. right? <laughs> I hope it's on till midnight now. Um, so we're going to do things a little bit differently this evening. We're going to start this evening... And pick up where we left off last Sunday in Ecclesiastes. And then we're going to close out with worship. Um, I would kind of talked to Sandra before uh, before everybody had gone to class. And this Ecclesiastes, I don't know if y'all felt this last time. But Ecclesiastes is one of those books that sits heavy on you. And and it, it especially if you're preaching this, as the preacher, this sits heavy heavy on me. Um, So it would be nice if we could leave on a high note (laughs) in worship. And I'm hoping that we get today and see a little bit uh, of the contrast, because I'm going to actually, if we make it to where I feel the Lord is leading us in this, we're going to jump over and take a glance uh, at some New Testament uh, scripture to kind of contrast with what we're seeing In Ecclesiastes. So uh, before we uh, start, I want to open us up in prayer. And I ask that y'all be praying for me as I'm teaching this. Um, I'm just going to be reading from where we left off last time and just speaking what the Holy Spirit lays on me to say. And that is very frightening because I have no notes. Um, But we'll rely on the Lord to move. Um, and I believe that He's faithful to do that. Um, so let's open in prayer. We'll let them kind of shuffle to where they're shuffling. Let's open in prayer, um, and then we'll then we'll begin uh, with a a slot review. And the reviews will come each time. So if you completely forgot what we talked about the last time, we'll do quick reviews before each w- each of these, so that you can kind of uh, pick up with where we were at the time before, uh, the good news is the theme is going to be the same vanity of vanities throughout this entire book. Um, so it's going to be heavy on our souls and I hope that it is heavy enough that it will break our hardened hearts and that the Holy Spirit will move in us to, to rebuild us back, uh, and sanctify us through this process. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. For allowing us to gather together. To spend time in fellowship with you. With one another. To spend time in your word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move. In the hearts of those who have already been listening to your word. In the classes this afternoon. And in the preaching this morning. And that your spirit would move to break hearts. That you would tear down our hardness you replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh that you have made to beat only for you lord you know how heavy this book weighs on me and how how much of my flesh you have to continually refine and prune to get Ready my heart to preach this book. Lord, you know what you've done all already through the time that I've spent in studying this. And I believe that as you have led me to preach and that you have led me now to preach this, that you are faithfully working in hearts. Lord, though I would hope that it would be everyone that would hear if it's only one, then so be it. If it's only me, then so be it. Lord, let your Holy Spirit move us because if you do not move us, then we cannot be moved. Lord, straighten our crooked hearts because if you do not straighten our crooked hearts, then they cannot be made straight. Guide us in your path as a church lead us as a church body and as individuals to further and further be sanctified, to further and further be made in your image and to bring you glory, not just in this building, but as you send us out to our homes, to our places of work, to our schools, and to this world that we would be lights for you. I thank you for Christ and for the cross, which brings meaning to my life and to all that draw near to you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so we're going to be in Ecclesiastes. We're going The text we're going to pick up on is going to be in uh, chapter 1, verse 12. I kind of want to give you a, a little heads up. As far as where we're going, we're going to be spending a little time in chapter 1. We're going to jump to chapter 2. I hope to finish chapter 2. And if you look at chapter 2 and you've ever sat in any class or whatever that I've ever taught, then you're thinking, you know, he probably wasn't kidding about missing the Super Bowl. Because chapter 2 is a pretty long chapter and it has a lot of meat in it. So, uh, I pray that you would pray for me as I teach it, that I would not be uh, timid in running you past your allotted times, even though you may look at me like, Landon, it's time to leave, right? Honestly, I don't care if it's time to leave, okay? And I I want you all to understand that, that I'm not running on your clock. You can ask Kip not to let me preach anymore if you want, okay? But I don't care about your time and what you have to do after this because God has led me to preach this word to you and he has led me to do it boldly. So first, let's go over a uh, little bit of recap about what we looked at last time. Uh, High points, everything is meaningless, but... Where is everything meaningless? Or in what context is everything meaningless? Under the sun. Under the sun. So when we say that everything is meaningless or everything is vain and pointless, what do we not mean in that? When I make that statement, when I say that that everything's meaningless and pointless, what do I not mean? I want to make sure that this is clear with us tonight so that you don't think that I literally am saying every single thing, which I am in one respect, and I'm not in another. But what is it that qualifies meaning, or what gives meaning to anything? I hope that came out last time. I hope that was clear last time. What is that? What is that one thing? Christ, thank you. So when I say that everything is meaningless and pointless, that's with the exclusion of Christ. Okay? So that when we're talking about meaning, and we're talking about value, if we exclude Christ from that equation, we come up with zero meaning, zero value, zero anything that will last. Right. We end up with vanity. Right. So any dream that we pursue... If Christ is not the center and the focus of that dream, what's the result? Vanity. More than that, vanity of vanities. Like your vanity is vain. That's how bad. If you exclude Christ from this picture, that's how hopeless and meaningless. If we exclude Christ from our lives, not only is it meaningless... It is exceedingly meaningless. Not only is it vain, but it is vanity of vanities. So let's just understand that, that that when we speak of everything that we're going to look at in Ecclesiastes, what I want you to have in the back of your mind, what I want you to be thinking about and pondering, is what does Christ do there? Or in my life, in this place where I see that God is showing me that I'm living very much chasing after vanities... What happens if Christ comes in there? Or is it also possible that there are places in our lives that when Christ comes in, that thing goes away? Because that thing in its very nature is a vain thing, right? So we're going to find as we look through the book of Ecclesiastes, kind of two Big categories. There are going to be things that Christ, when He's there, when He's present in it, He infuses meaning, or it would be meaningless and pointless and vain without Him. And there's going to be things in our lives that with Christ present, those things have no place. Okay? So this is, this is kind of the context of where we're at uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Uh, we left off last time kind of with the question in verse 11... We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing. And the question we kind of left with is are you just going to be forgotten? Is your life going to be meaningless and pointless and vain? And then, not even, ha- like we, I don't know that there was maybe one or two people that knew who their grand, great grandparents, all of them were, right? So that's an illustration of just how quickly we will be forgotten, is that many of your great-grandchildren will not even know that you existed unless they go to, like, Ancestry.com and look you up, right? And there's going to be a point to where if they'd looked you up in Ancestry.com, that's not even going to be around anymore, <laughs> right? So I wanted us to kind of end there so that you could kind of be thinking about this, because that question, the question that, you, you know, when we'd start thinking about, are we going to be forgotten? Right? What are we going to be remembered for? Who are we going to be remembered by? That's a big one. Like if we're remembered by only one, let that one be Christ, because that's the one that matters. Okay. I want you to—I wanted you to kind of be thinking about that. I didn't realize I would get to preach again this Sunday night, but uh, it worked out like that. But I hope that you've been thinking about that. I hope that's been a question that's kind of been itching away in your mind. Because the rest of this book is going to kind of help us to look at that. It's going to help us evaluate our lives, the meaning and the purpose that's in our lives. If there is any, and I would tell you, based on what we've said up to this point, if Christ is not in your life, then your life is being lived in vanity of vanities. Okay? So that's, that's like the hard truth of this, is that any life lived without Christ is lived meaningless is lived in vanity. And I don't want that to be for any of us. Okay? So let's pick up in chapter 1, verse 12, and let's just read. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore wisdom by everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God had dealt a tragic existence to the human race. We're going to observe this at the end of chapter 1 here. I want to go ahead and point it out that in all of his seeking, now he was wise already. Okay, At the point that we see him writing this, at the point that he's telling us this, he was wise. His father saw him being wise. God said, hey, what do you want? Ask anything. And he was wise enough to ask for wisdom. And God gave him more wisdom. And now we see that With double helping of wisdom, he's seeking wisdom, okay? So let's not think that any of the things that he comes across here or stumbles across here was accidental. Let's not think that any of it we should just pass over and pay no attention to. But he was doing this, everything. He was exploring everything. Another thing that should come out of this is that when we get done with this, and I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through this entire book, when we get done with this, There's not, there should not be any question now on whether or not this guy had the means and the ability and the desire to explore everything. So what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that for you, whatever that thing is that you think, well, I think mine's the exception, it's not, it's not the exception, okay, it's not the exception. As we explore this, what I think you'll find will come about is that you'll understand is that In fact, everything that you would try to hold on to, he's probably going to demolish and smash into a thousand pieces. So you'll find that it's about as easy to hold on to as sand is to hold on to. You'll find that those things just slip through your fingers. Right? So, I just want to point that out. I I soon discovered that God had dealt a tragic existence to the human race. What is that tragic existence? I want you to be thinking about that. What is the tragic existence? And again, all of this under the sun and excluding a life lived in Christ and for the glory of Christ. okay? Verse 14, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it's all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Verse 15. What is wrong cannot be made right. what is missing cannot be recovered. Let's look at that verse in a little more detail, verse 15. What's wrong cannot be made right. What's missing cannot be recovered. We're gonna look at this in, in in two with two perspectives. One, we're gonna look at it as you being the one acting this out, and then the second way, you as the one being acted upon with this. And there's there's something, I don't know if y'all listen when I pray. But if you do, there's something that I've been praying recently, especially as I preach. And it comes out differently at different times, but it's something along the lines of, Lord, if you don't move, we won't be moved. Right? If you don't move, we won't be moved. This scripture is the inspiration for this. Another way, if you read it in another translation, it'll say, what's crooked cannot be made straight. Okay? Now, there's some very, very heavy heavy truth to be seen in this scripture pertaining to you, okay, pertaining to you. Also, and I'm going to, is my mom, my mom's not here, she's sick, where's my dad, my dad's not in here, okay, so I can call him out. All right, so last Sunday night after the church service, my dad comes up to me afterward and my mom comes up to me also, and they're like, Landon, I think you forgot to, uh, I think you forgot to give an altar call. Right? Now, there's lots of things that I'll forget, but an altar call is not one of them. Okay? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I could I could preach, I could preach, I could preach, and I could close this book, and if I close this book, and then I convince you to come up here, woe unto me for trying to make the bent thing straight. Okay? want to make this. If at any point... If at any point you feel drawn to come here, run me over to do it. I want to tell you this because I'm not going to convince you and your crooked heart to be made straight. So if you're feeling pulled or drawn to be made straight, that's the Spirit. And you need to run me over. Because something's happening to you that men cannot do. Under the sun, I could speak. I could speak with the tongues of angels. What would it be if God doesn't move? Vanity of vanities. That's my church. My biggest fear, my biggest fear when giving in to the call to preach was that I would preach. That I would preach. That I would talk and you would be like, wow, that just blows me away every time. I love to hear Landon. Man, do you hear the way that Landon says these things? Man, I'd rather nobody show up because I was preaching God's Word than everybody showing up because something I bring to the table because I cannot make the heart straight. The heart bent towards sin, man cannot bend straight. Do you understand that? Now, I'm not dogging altar calls. please don't. Dustin loved Dustin death. He gave an altar call this morning. <laughs> it was a great altar call. I'm not dogging altar calls, but for this, you come when God calls you to come. OK? Don't wait on me. I pray that you never wait on any preacher to speak good words to your ear. Because men cannot make your crooked heart straight. Only God can. And only the preaching of His Word can. So woe unto me if I close this book and speak nothing of it. And then you come to Jesus did you or was it vanities what's wrong cannot made cannot be made right christian lost person under the sun this truth is a very very depressing truth i want you to think of your life and i want you to think of the sins and the atrocities that you yourself have committed with the understanding that once you did it, it could not be undone. This is part of the meaning of the law had no power to save you, only to point out how lost you really are. This is why Ecclesiastes scares me. It's in the Old Testament, part of the law. You read much of it, and uh, let me go ahead and point out to you, if you had not read it, you're not going to find Jesus' name mentioned directly in this book. We will see Jesus. This is an amazing thing is that you do you do see him. You do see him, but this book weighs so heavily because it shows us it shows us the vanity of life apart from Christ and the meaninglessness, the hopelessness of a life lived apart from Christ. And it is depressing. It is very depressing, and I hope it's so depressing that the Holy Spirit breaks you and brings you to Christ. I hope instead of running to pills, you run to Christ. I hope instead of running to the drink or to the bottle, you run to Christ. Because what we're going to find is none of that can straighten you. None of that can make right the wrongs that you yourselves have committed What's missing cannot be recovered. That time, that time that's missing because you spent time at work instead of with your family, do you understand you don't get that back? Hmm. You understand all the time wasted in sinful endeavors you do not get back, church? How often, how often as we get older in age, we say, man, I wish I could have got that time back. I wish I'd have known Jesus in high school. You don't get it back. You don't. You get right now. And the truth is, many of you would rather be watching the Super Bowl I wonder what commercial's going to come on that's going to make me laugh. I wish this got harsh so I could get home and watch those commercials. What's missing cannot be recovered. That's you. That's you. You do wrong. You waste your life there's another aspect to this. Many of you have been sinned against in some way, in some fashion. I'm sorry. A lot of times it doesn't cut it, does it? You know what I'm talking about. You hold grudges for decades because I'm sorry under the sun means nothing. You don't know repentance. So how could you forgive? Vanity of vanities. Many of you have missed out. Whether it was a parent not being there. Whether it was a good parent not being there. The truth Under the sun, what's missing cannot be recovered. How sad is that? Truth? Is that that not just sad? A tragic existence. He says, I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. It's not just you. It's not just you. You're not the only one going through these things. You're not the only one sinning or being sinned against. You're not the only one who has ever done wrong to someone else. You're not the only one who will ever have something done wrong to you. This is a tragic existence to the human race. This is depressing. This is depressing. This is the this is the one of the wisest, apart from Christ, probably the wisest man to have ever walked the face of the earth. He's writing this book to his son, and he starts off in the first chapter with this with this. It's depressing. There's not a smile on any of y'all's faces. And I don't blame you. I don't blame you, but I hope, I hope that as Christians we understand we have something. We have something. The truth of which overshadows this truth because it lies beyond the sun. Okay? But we forget it. We forget it. Sometimes the law needs to be brought back out and read before us so that we can repent because we forget it. Verse 16. I said to myself, Look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. Just, teaching point. I dustin' uses that. I like that. Teaching point. We're going to divert here just for a second on a teaching point how many kings came before solomon how many kings of jerusalem two two so either he's making a big deal of nothing here so he, let's look at the two kings okay so he says i said to myself look i'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in jerusalem before me let's 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 look at what he's saying here so so we got saul who was Ejected from kingship. And then he was usurped by David, which is the second. And then do we really need to go over all the missteps of David? (laughs) Right? Solomon, uh, let's understand this. Solomon is the result of said (laughs) misstep. (laughs) All right? (laughs) his his mama is that woman <laughs> right his mama is that woman so here's solomon saying man I got a one up on wisdom on both of those guys is that what solomon did you think we wouldn't fact check you man did you think we wouldn't look up no there's something else that he's saying He not only he's including those two he's including those two he's also so that he Get that wisdom on up there. He's including all the people that got ran out of Egypt. Or out of Egypt, excuse me. Ran out of the promised land. He's including all of those children burners. Right? You know why they got ran out? 400 years their sin God let build up. Still no repentance. the wrath of god comes so he's comparing himself to them don't we do the same thing do we not do the exact same thing lord jesus please let me compare myself to all of y'all right let me let me make comparisons of men who are under the sun you know what happens when we do that we usually come out looking fairly good unless we're somebody like hitler right he would probably have a little bit harder time to do that for us we're the average people like i can look at most people and i can be like you know what on on a good day of mine I, i think i got them beat right that's the problem that's the problem we go around comparing ourselves to one another and we look pretty good because we're all dealt a tragic existence And we we lose sight of the one that if we'd had our eyes fixed on him, on Christ, and we're comparing our wisdom to his, we'd be humbled. Instead of building ourselves up because we can compare ourselves with other fallen people. So let's not do that. That was kind of a side note. Let's get back on track. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. Verse 17. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. I learnt firsthand that pursuing this is like chasing the wind. Verse 18. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase in knowledge only increases sorrow. This is, like, as I was studying this, this was me. This was me, right? So I'm looking at this. I'm that guy. I put a a lot of value on knowledge. Like, I like to be the guy that knows the answers. I don't know if any of y'all are like that, but that's me. So I like to, like, if I don't know it, I'll pull out my phone and I'll Google it real quick. Log that away so that I know it next time you ask. Like, I don't like to be caught off guard with the question that I don't know. And then I come to realize that the guy who, who, who probably forgot more in his old age than, than a couple of lifetimes of me seeking out wisdom would ever come to know in the first place comes to this conclusion when it comes to the acquisition of knowledge and wisdom. He has this to say about it. And we should be warned by this. We should be warned by this. Okay? The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. Why? You cannot know. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal. As we grow in our understanding, especially if our understanding and the horizon of that understanding is fixed underneath the sun, i.e. no spiritual wisdom, only earthly, carnal wisdom. Do you know what we find? We find a lot of things that are just broken and that there's no explanation, or no reason, or purpose, or no hope for ever fixing them. Right? We find that we haven't. We, it seems like I have no place, and I don't fit well anywhere. And the more that I know, the more that I just realize how much of a misfit I really am in this world. That's depressing. To increase in knowledge only increases sorrow that's truth church if you only if we only knew the depths and depravity of one another's hearts here would be broken and we're church people if you only knew you think you know me? Just wait till we dig on into this thing a little bit more. <coughs> to increase in knowledge only, only increases sorrow if that knowledge is fixed in this world. And that's truth. That's truth. Verse two, or verse one of chapter two. Actually, you know, we're, we'll spend a little bit more time here. Y'all, y- y'all ain't got any place to be, right? Do you know why? Do you know why that is? Do you know why it is that we can't be satisfied? Do you know why it is that the more we know, the more it grieves us? This is a, this is true, and this is especially true for us when we don't know Christ. But it, it it for whatever reason finds its way back in sometimes, even even afterwards is is that we find within ourselves, and I think this is I think this is true of all of us. I think this is true of everybody, even if they don't know Christ. We find within ourselves because God has placed it there. There is something missing in us, right? Back over in chapter 1, verse 15, there is something missing in each and every one of us because of the fall that we'll spend a lifetime knowing it's there. Knowing it's there. Knowing it's there. Trying to fill it. Trying to fill it. And what we find is that nothing ever does the job. And then unfortunately, we're so sinful Okay, and when when I say that the thing that's wrong can't be made right, or in some translations, that thing that's bent can't be made straight, I'm talking even you cannot straighten your own wicked, crooked heart. You cannot do it. We find ourselves trying. And the more we try, the more we know we can't. The more we try, the more we know we can't. But our sinfulness that can't be fixed by us, knowing, knowing what can fix it, still chooses to reject it. You do. You know the truth. You know the truth. You know the thing that you're chasing after now that you can easily recall in your mind. You know it's vain. You know it ends in destruction. Yet you choose... To seek it instead of Christ. You choose to seek it. You choose to chase after it. Knowing in every step closer to it you make. You, you know more that it will not fulfill. Yet you choose anyways to seek after it. That's how, that's how bent we are towards sin. That's how much we need Christ to rescue us. From our sin. From our sinfulness. From who we are. We need Him to make us someone new. Verse 1, chapter 2. I said to myself, Come, let us try pleasure. Let us look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. Chapter 2, verse 1 probably sums up the large majority of our lives. You want to be happy. You want to be pleased. You want to be comfortable. You want to enjoy pleasure. You want the good life. In one verse, church, in one verse, he sums up everything that you will waste your life on chasing after this American dream that if you ever reached it, you would realize that it was insufficient. But fortunately enough, for the powers that work in this world, you'll never reach it. You'll just work and waste away a life chasing after something you'll never get so that you never have to realize what Solomon realized. Wise beyond measure, this guy. Wealth beyond your wildest dreams. And he starts off, vanity of vanities. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That pleasure that you think if you could get it, would satisfy, will fail miserably to satisfy. This is the truth. Yet you seek after it anyways. This is the, this is the scary part for me as a preacher, is I can preach it to you all day long. And if God doesn't move, you will not be moved. We want revival, so we'll bring in preachers that can preach well. We want revival, so we'll bring in musicians who can play well. Every time, every time in this book that you see revival, do you know what always precedes revival? Repentance. Every time. Every time. And you know the only way that you repent is if that bent thing is made straight. May God's Spirit... Make straight in your life that thing that is bent. That's my prayer as I preach this. That's my prayer because I know I can say it a hundred times and it be ineffective. You'll sit right there and giving no altar call will be as effective as giving a 50-minute altar call where I beg you to come to Jesus. You want to be begged? to Him. You think you need to be begged to Him? You don't know how unworthy you are. Verse 2, so I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? Will we learn from Him? Will we learn Will we? Will you learn from Him? Because He's lived this life and He's writing down this truth so that you, as you read this and the Holy Spirit stirs in your heart warning you what your life could be. If you do not read the warning signs, will you press on through? Will you press on through? Will you continue living? If God doesn't move, yes. Pray that God moves. Verse three. After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. Wow. Wow. That happened quickly. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna seek knowledge, right? We get that chapter one. That doesn't work out so well. I'm gonna seek pleasure. That seems like the opposite there. I'm just gonna go find pleasure. The guy he's gonna say down here in a little bit that literally there was nothing that he wanted that he could not have, so he pleased himself by whatever means necessary, and he goes from pleasure to, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to drink a little bit. Do you know why? We laugh, we laugh, but all those things that you think would please you, all those things that you think would feel you you think about how sad it would be if you could experience all of those things and then you realized it didn't do it it didn't do it what would you do I just want to know them, man how, how many of us are living that kind of life right now huh this is not the kind that makes you popular how many of us are living that kind of life? I just want to be numb, man. Just, Doc, please give me some pills. Please. Let me just get something to drink, man. I'm just numb this stuff. It's hopeless. Do you, you see this? A life devoid of Christ is hopeless. And it will drive you ultimately to despair. And while seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. At least he's being honest here. That's what you'll find throughout this book is, A broken hearted man being very, very honest about the life that he lived. So seeking after wisdom, clutching at foolishness, and that could probably be said to the large majority of us in here. Because you're here tonight. You're here tonight, right? Your bit of encouragement. Hey, you made it. (laughs) You're here, you're in church. We're seeking after wisdom. But man oh man, aren't you clutching after you're clutching after something? holding on to some amount of foolishness. Unwilling or unable to let it go. We see this here. While seeking wisdom, I clutch foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during this brief life in this world. How sad is that? How sad is that? So pleasure won't do it. i to numb myself. And what he's saying is that for most of the people that he knew, that was life. That's what they could expect. The most hope they had was just to get through their days, numb the pain in whatever way they could. hope that life was brief verse 4 so he's going to go on a big list of all the things that he did all the pleasure that we just saw this is a big list of all of it also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself man planting beautiful vineyards i made gardens and parks filled them with all kinds of fruit trees I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. And had many beautiful concubines. I had everything. I had everything a man could desire. What was he lacking? What was he lacking? What was he lacking? Is he lacking anything here? What? Yes. Yes, let us not overlook that. Let us not overlook that. You can have all of these things and these things in and of themselves are not bad. Things you got homes, you got vineyards, you got apparently it irrigates stuff. You got all of this. That's not bad. You're not a sinner because you have that. But if that's where your hope lies, you know what you'll find? You'll find the same thing he found here. Worthless. At the end of the day, you know what he says. We're gonna get to this. He's like, "Man, I, my kids don't know what they're doing, and I gotta leave it to one of them." <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, seriously? I got all this good stuff because I worked hard. And now I gotta leave it to these? Like, that's the heart that you're left with when you when you chase after these kind of things. Church, that's what we're left with. So I became greater than all that lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. Okay, so if you think he didn't have power, let's just stop for a second on that and camp out. Anything he wanted, if he did not have it, what would he do? He would take it. The man had power. I think, man, if I could get a little more power at my job or... My wife would listen to me a little more. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She is here. She is here. She She, she can defend herself. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm going to pay for that later. (laughs) Anything I wanted, he said, I would take. I deny myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work. So, so that's what we do also, right? Right? I got nothing else to do. Like, my, man, I don't have any good hobbies for this pleasure thing. I got a particular thing that I'm good at at work, so I'll just do that. I'll do that. And we work our lives away. We do it. We do It, it includes that in here also. A reward for all my labors. But as I looked. At everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish. In case you questioned it. He says it also. Or it was also meaningless. Like chasing the wind. There is nothing really worthwhile. Anywhere. So. So. I'll let that stuff absorb in a little bit. And we're going to press on. There's a lot of just weighty, weighty, weighty stuff in this. Verse 12. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. So now he's looked at knowledge. He's looked at wisdom. He's looked at folly. He's looked at pleasure. He's looked at these things. He's going to. So this is a this I want y'all to because as you read this book, if you read this book, what you'll find is that you'll find like we're going to be talking about wisdom here and he doesn't let it go. It's not like, you know, you read some of Paul's stuff in the New Testament. He's very, very like divided, like he'll talk about one thing here and then he'll talk about another thing here. Like you'll see him bring things up over and over again because he's giving you the outline of the pattern that he himself went through in discovering these things. So the first thing that he sought after was knowledge and wisdom. Let's see if I can find happiness there. That doesn't work. Let me go to the pleasure thing. That doesn't work. Well, that seems like the two big categories. Let me compare these things. All right? So this is kind of what he's, what he's going about here. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness for who can do this better than the king. In a I want to ask you that question. Okay? In case you think that you, maybe I'll just do it anyways. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my own path, right? I, I'll find out, I'll make my own mistakes. You don't want to make these if you don't have to, right? If you can learn from somebody's mistakes, by all means, learn from their mistakes. Save yourself a whole lot of heartache. A whole lot. Learn from his mistakes. Because you'll find out the answer to this question. Who can do this better than the king? No one. No one. And you may very well waste your entire life trying. That scares me. If God doesn't move, you will not be moved, church. Lord, move. Verse 13, I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. So high note here, if you're looking to choose a path to chase after in vanity, go the the wisdom and knowledge route. (laughs) Unfortunately, unfortunately, we're going to find out either route lived in vanity, lived with your eyes fixed under the sun, are going to lead to the same thing here. Verse 14, for the wise can see where they're going, But the fools walk in the dark. So this is his justification for that. Yet I saw, so it didn't take long here. Yet I saw the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Verse 15, both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what is the value of my wisdom? This is all meaningless. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So the question that we left off with last Sunday night, is anybody going to remember you? We all have the same fate, church. Whether I have a little more money than you or you have a little more money than me, I have some minute amount of success more than you or you have more than me. Whether you're more popular, whether you're more educated, you die. You die. So if you live your life chasing after, Anything under the sun, we all end up the same. Don't run that race. Don't run that race. We're going to go over in a little bit to 2 Timothy. We're going to look at some contrast to this and see how we should run. What race we should be running. Not a race chasing after vanity because we're going to get to that finish line and we're going to realize, oh, y'all weren't giving out prizes? <laughs> right? Wow. That was an awfully expensive entrance fee that was my life. I don't get anything in return. I need to be running a different race. Verse 17. This is what This is what happens. Okay, this is the king, church. This is the king. So I came to hate life. That's sad. That's sad. And unfortunately, some of you will end up there. Some of you won't heed the warning. You'll end up there. And I I pray that God's Holy Spirit would plant some seed in you that you would be reminded when you get there there's something beyond the sun. Verse 18. So he hates life in verse 17. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun, again, this context is throughout. I hope you've been underlining this under the sun or under heaven every time we've seen it. Everything done under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless like chasing the wind. Verse 18, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I've earned. Wow. Wow. So he worked so hard. He ran so far. He's gotten to this point in his life where he realized, I'm going to die And all these things I've worked for, I've got to leave to somebody else. Let's, let's, Let's read on and see how he feels about this. And who can tell whether my successor will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I've gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. Verse 20, so I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. I hope that you would give up in despair I would hope that you would give up that. I would hope that being presented by something else, something better, something greater, something far greater, that you would give that up. That you would. She would stop chasing those things. Verse 21, Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it at all. Please, Solomon, don't hold anything back here. Tell us how you really feel about who you're going to be leaving all these things that you've worked so hard for. Right? I'm, he's writing this book to his son. Can you imagine his son's reading this? He's like, man I'm alive, what are you. Dad is senile or something. And he's like, hey, I'll press on. I'll read it anyways. Dad's not going to get off my back until I do. And then he gets over here. And he's reading this. What, Dad, man. What are you talking about here? You, I thought you loved me. What are you saying about me? You don't think that I, I, can, I can handle what you've worked so hard for? This too is meaningless. A great tragedy, verse 22. So what do people get in this life for all the hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from God for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from Him. Verse 26, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please Him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away, gives it to those who please Him. This too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I want us to contrast this. I want us to look at how Solomon here is looking at all the hard work that he's put in because all your lives are going to be spent up one day. I don't know if you realize it, but we're all going to get there, right? We're all going to have lived for something, right? Either you'll be able to categorize it as vanity of vanities, meaningless, or you'll be able to say that it was good service, right? It was work for Christ, okay? Which one of those will be said of your life? Because if you live your life chasing after vanities, your heart will be molded like this. Your heart will be, you will have that heart. Man, my kids are ignorant. They can't, they're going to waste all my money away. Like, I might as well spend it and go to Aruba. Something, right? Man, I, what are they going to do? Your family's broken? Because clearly, if you're thinking about your kids like this, they know it, <laughs> all right? Yeah, they know it. I'm sure it came out at some point. Okay. It's probably not a question of them. So you got all kinds of issues going on because the heart is changed through this kind of running. Right? When when these idols become your obsessions, your heart turns more and more towards those idols. You get invested. In it, I spent thirty years here, man. If I can just get another five or ten out, right? We say that about our jobs. If I can just, man, if I can just get another ten years in, I'll retire, and then whatever comes next, you know. We run, we run, we run for vanities. You, you know, it's vanity. You know it's vanity, yet you still run after it. You still chase after it. Your heart is set and fixed on it. You want it. Your heart is your heart is bent. Would you let God unbend it? Would you let him make it right? Because that's not the heart that I want for you. That's not the heart that I want for me. Let's turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. So, this is Paul's letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy. He's writing here encouraging Timothy. Paul here is like last letter time. This is like if, if you were going to say something, like you're on your deathbed, and this is the one thing that you got to say, what are you going to say to somebody? We know what Solomon's going to say. Right, I came to hate all my hard work, for I must leave it to others. Right, that's it. Like I worked for this is it. Like he got there to the end. This is it. This is what I worked so hard for. Now I got to leave it for somebody. And we find Paul on the other end of the spectrum. Verse, verse uh, six in chapter four. As for me my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. You chase for something, dust is what it will be. He chased for something moth and rust could not corrupt. And now, at the end of the race, and now, a prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. That's what he was running for. That's what he was running for. He was running for a higher goal. A higher prize. And he is. Nowhere in this is he bummed out. Right. I mean he's, he's at death. Like look at the guy's life. We've reviewed this in past the, in past messages. Right. We've looked at this. We know what the guy's life was about. He's been running this race. And it has been a difficult race. It has been a trying race. And he gets here to the end and he's not like, man, this was all in vain. This was all wasted. Now I got to leave it to you, Timothy. Now I got to leave it Now I got to leave it to you. Really? No, that's not what he's like. And the prize is not just for me. How selfish are we when we chase after our earthly dreams and our earthly pleasures? We want it just for me. Why there's not enough of it. There's not enough of it. If you got all of it, look at Solomon, look at the guy, had everything you could want, you had all of it, you would still find it lacking. That's why you're selfish. You know nothing can fulfill it. Nothing can make you whole apart from Christ. Yet you reject Him in your sinfulness. That He would bend us straight we would have hearts like this the prize is not just for me but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing do you look forward to his appearing or does that frighten you